Okay, Nesmo, we are back offshore outsourced to profits. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think everybody's going to really love today's topic because the topic is about making money. At the end of the day, that's what everybody wants, right? Um, so let me ask you this. How can people leverage outsourcing or offshoring and they can literally build a awesome sales machine? What are the steps? Just give us as much as possible. So if I were to build a sales organization, sorry, I won't even say if I were, I'm already doing this. So let's explain how as a chief revenue officer and as well as a CEO, how you might want to think through this challenge. First is separate the roles and responsibilities within sales. So the first mindset is you have to stop saying this can't be done because my customers are uh, customer facing and my customers are not going to accept anybody that doesn't look and act and live in the same place they do. Hold on a second. Let's break down the sales function into $5 an hour tasks and $500 an hour value creation. There are many things that a, an SDR or BDR, which is sales development rep, business development rep, account executive, think of the people who close the deals, and then customer success or account management do. There's many things they do that unfortunately are not customer facing. List building, uh, social media posting, uh, research for customers. Emails are behind the, you know, behind the firewall, so to speak. They're behind the scenes. So long to the short, you break down these tasks and you start to recognize that there are opportunities to support your existing customer facing sales representatives, like your account executives, in a way where they can focus in on more demos, more proposals per day, because they're not taking on some of these tasks. So then let's carve out sales in what's called pre-sales and post-sales. Pre-sales meaning the acquisition of new customer. Post-sale means the nurturing of existing customer. So in the pre-sales opportunity, your go-to-market sales motion might include email marketing, social media engagement, or LinkedIn messaging. And you have to ask yourself, am I going to take my $150,000 a year paid resource and ask them to send 50 emails today or to connect with people on LinkedIn or to uh, message people on LinkedIn? That's not a very good use of time. In fact, we can separate these roles. So at Pipeline Signals, as an example, we have teammates that live in Manila, Philippines, that are actually prospecting via LinkedIn and we're doing A-B tests. Some emails are going out under her LinkedIn and email profile. So her name, her LinkedIn profile. And some are going out in a Jamie Shanks under the founder, if you're a founder-led sales motion, going out as my email or she's logging in and messaging through my LinkedIn as me. There's an obvious conversion difference between the two. But you may choose that you want to scale both because you don't want to be a founder-led sales motion forever. You want to scale into a sales-led motion. This can happen for your existing sellers. They don't need to be pressing the buttons, building the lists of prospects, finding their email addresses, 
sending out the messages via email. You can have offshore resources to do this. Now, another example of a sales play that you can run is called pipeline coverage nurturing. What that means is your sales team are meeting new opportunities. They'll run a demo and then they'll get into what's called the dead zone. That prospect is going to say, call me back in two weeks. I'm ready to do a deal. And two weeks go by, nothing. Two months go by, nothing. And you start to build up this swelling effect in your CRM of opportunities, which it's actually just called pipeline coverage. It's not actually live opportunities. But you don't want to rely on your account executives to nurture these accounts because at the end of the day, um, that's not a, a good use of time and money and energy. And B, it's not going to happen at scale. What happens is the account executives start to account segment. They start to select, prioritize, and segment the accounts they focus in on. And everything becomes a Pareto's law. They start to focus in on the hot opportunities that are looking to close tomorrow. And they start to forget to nurture the accounts that they dealt with months and months ago. What happens is you create this massive backlog, but if the customers don't hear from you or these prospects don't hear from you, then all of a sudden, when they are in that moment of change, they don't recall your name, they don't think of you, and they bypass your solution. So what we do here at Pipeline Signals, as an example, is every Friday, we have a series of videos or emails and or video emails that are going out to every contact in every one of those hundreds of pipeline coverage accounts. Dollars to donuts. And this is a, a saying, and as Will's probably saying, what is dollars to donuts? Every single week, one of those opportunities email back, kind of raised their hand and said, hey, it's been a couple months since we spoke. I've been reading, it's like a newsletter. I've been reading the newsletter you've been sending. I think we're ready to talk. But if you were to have asked me, the founder, to have done this, it would have fallen off the rails. If you would have asked my account executives to do this, it would have fallen off the rails because they've got you know, other prospects they're dealing with yet to also nurture 100 or 200 or 300 or 500 other accounts every single week. That's not possible. So to summarize, now start thinking of the financial opportunity here. Um, our fractional as an example, a fractional BDR in the Philippines is $500 a month. We're talking $6,000 a year. So your cost of customer acquisition barely makes a blip. $6,000 a year, even in, okay, so in my company Pipeline Signals, the average contract value is $3,000 a month. So the payback period, so it's $500 a month is the resource cost. The average contract value is $3,000 a month. I will pay for that. If that resource books a meeting and that meeting is one in that month, it pays for itself almost instantaneously. Even if she were to only book and we close one deal in an entire year from all of her efforts, that's a two-month payback period, which in professional services or tech-enabled services, anything of the payback period under six months is incredible. So uh, these are the ways that I would consider using sales support and ensuring that you can maximize the leverage of your existing account executives and customer success to nurture and upsell and cross-sell and think about the strategic conversations they need to have with their customers. Whereas 
emails, list building, key account planning, researching, uh, social media posting. These sort of things can be taken off the plate so you create more uh, leverage for your account executives. I completely agree with you, but I want to add to it in a different way. I, I, would, I want to bring a spin to it. So I want to talk about the mindset. I really think for anything and everything in the world is important, right? So let's talk about the mindset that I have in mind. One, the moment we talk about offshoring or outsourcing, first thing that comes to my mind is obviously I'll be, I'll be able to save money. Now, in my opinion, you should definitely think about saving money, but don't think about it way too much. In my experience, what I have seen is that suddenly the founders get into a mindset, hey, I'm saving money. I'm saving money here. I'm saving money there. Let's just cut all the costs that we can uh, and, and save as much money as possible. What I think people should be also thinking about or founders should also be thinking about like, hey, only six months ago, how much were we spending? I'll give you an example. Maybe right now you have three salespeople in your team, right? Maybe they just make phone calls. So right now you have three, three people making phone calls and maybe you're paying them, just to give an example, $5,000, uh, US dollars maybe. So in total, you're paying $15,000, right? For these three people. Now you can definitely hire these three people from Bangladesh with really good English, with, uh, with a background of telesales and everything else with probably $3,000. Again, just to give an example, now you just saved $12,000, right? What I have seen over and over again that now they're stuck with, in, in their head, they're stuck with this $3,000. Even though they can spend a little more and they can make more sales, they can bring in more people and they can grow faster, they can't think like that anymore. Because now they're, they're stuck into, I'm going to save money, I'm going to save money, I'm going to save money. So when, even when they have to grow, they know that they have to grow, but they still keep thinking, how, how can I do more things with these three people? So you need to stop overthink it. When it's time to invest a little more, you invest a little more. Don't just think like, okay, this is how much I spent and this is, I'll, I'll be sticking with it. So you, you already leveraged, right? Uh, the budget that you have. So when you, it's time for you to grow, stop thinking, I'm going to get things done within just these three people. So that's, that's I think, an important mind shift that people need. That's one. Second thing that I want to talk about, which is uh, absolutely from your newsletter. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube or any other media, if you still have not subscribed to our newsletter, please do that. You can get go to getleverage.com, G-E-T-L-E-V-R-G.com. And you can subscribe to our newsletter. So I'm taking this app from, from the, one of the newsletters that we have. Very important. One thing anybody needs to forget is the employee headcount, which can be a barometer for success, right? I'll give you on my, my own example. Uh, I remember when I had a bigger office and everybody was, everybody was coming to the office and I, I kept feeling better. I'm like, oh my God, I have a bigger team. I have a big team. People are coming in. This is a large company. You know, we're getting better and bigger and better. But that's not going to happen when you are offshoring. You're not going to have those people in, in your room. So you have, to, you have to understand that looking at people, you know, and counting, oh, I had 12 people and, I, and now I have 16. And you should... Should you feel better? I, I, I don't think that should not be the you know, meter of, of, of success anymore. I think you should be looking at 
the result. You should be looking at uh, the other people who are not working in front of you, but offshore. That's it. So you definitely need to forget the fact that people will not be coming to your office and you should not think that you are less successful just because people are not inside your own room. This is a great point. So I want to come back to that first one and then I'll touch on the second. The first one is this concept of the dog chasing the the meat truck. Uh, Yet the dog actually caught the meat truck, but didn't know what to do when it caught the meat truck. So back to Nazmo's first point is you had a marketing or a sales expense of $15,000 a month. You now used operating leverage. You used the power of offshoring. You brought that operating expense down to $3,000. You then got used to $3,000 a month. And now somebody says, let's bring that up to four. And you're like, oh my God, that's, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just had yeah. to do whatever that percentage would be. I have to go up uh, an entire third of my expense uh, yes. in growth. Yes. But uh, th- that concept is it's because you were the dog that caught the car. So you caught the meat truck. You figured it out. You're now offshoring. But there wasn't a plan with what you were going to do with that capital that was going to scale and grow the company and that it was, you were always going to fit within the financial benchmarking framework for your industry. So that's a fantastic point. So in my company sales, and this is a really, really good point that I hadn't brought up in a while and I'd kind of forgotten about this. So if you look back at the history of sales for life, when I had my financial hiccup that caused me to look into offshoring, What I came to realize was there were these fundamentals for sales for life to be have enterprise value. And that those fundamentals were that I needed to create greater than 20% EBITDA. How I did that was less important, but it had to be 20%. But then within the three major buckets, my sales and marketing expense needed to be give or take in a range of 40% of those of my expenses. My delivery or cost of goods sold needed to be within about 40% of my expenses. Uh, Maybe even uh, you could swing either a little higher and then operational expenses. So as like, you know, finance, accounting, office expenses shouldn't ever be more than 10%. So you got 80% uh, expense, 20% profit of the 80, it would be broken out maybe like uh, 30, 40, 10, or something like that. Long and the short is when you achieve that though, um, or, or if you wildly over exceed those expectations, you have room to now grow back into that benchmark. So I am use that same framework in pipeline signals. And you're right. Sometimes I forget that is that we have pipeline signals is hundred percent offshore marketing, sales, delivery, uh, DevOps, everything. I have to forget as the revenue does grow, I have to still continue to spend in marketing around my benchmark because number one, then I'm not taking full advantage of the growth opportunities. And two, I haven't really normalized my expenses from an enterprise value standpoint. You know, years down the road when I go to sell the business. Future acquirers like, well, these this isn't normal. These aren't normalized expenses. 
So, but if I do spend more in marketing, I just get more for my money, like three to five to 10 times more than I would. So that's a really great point. Now I almost forget where I was going with my second point. Your second point that you were making was around, uh, oh, the, oh, headcount. Yes. Yes, yes. Headcount, um, I would say, is one of the toughest barriers for me as a founder to ever crack. I would go to parties. I, you know, number one, being a founder is a lonely place. You go to parties, nobody gets it. Nobody gets you. I almost hated being in social yeah. scenarios where people would ask, what do you do? And if I knew that room was full of teachers and lawyers and doctors and people who have normal mm -hmm. employment, I would kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I own a business. Let me explain. <laughs> I own three of them. Try to explain yeah. three. Um, so I love hanging out with other founders. But what I found was our barometer when I would go to conferences and at these events, mm -hmm. even when I'm speaking on stage, people would ask, how many employees mm -hmm. do you have? And that was their barometer to yeah, me. Yeah. Of, have, yeah, you, like, have you figured this thing out? Have you scaled? And I've come to recognize how useless a barometer it is for a couple of reasons. One, mm. uh, a lot of times, especially like in a private equity model, people will measure your profitability by employee or revenue by employee and profitability by employee. And it's a benchmark to, again, it's all part of operating leverage. But then when you go offshore, you literally throw the unit economics out the door because, again, you're making three, five, and ten times more profit per person. But what do you typically do? You start to scale specialization. You can now afford three marketers in an in a organization rather than one. But now you'll have one person just to do SEO, one person to do video editing, one person to do copywriting. You used to just have one marketer that would work 12 hours a day to try to do all this stuff. Now you put like all these specialists yeah. in place. So it can, mm -hmm. A, you can look at it a couple of different ways. It will completely inflate the number of employees you have because you've created all kinds of mm -hmm. specialists. You can afford redundancy, backup people. You can afford mm -hmm. fractional mm -hmm. people to mm -hmm. sit on the bench because it's, it's less expensive. And at the same time, um, now that if you're trying to measure yourself in a, a revenue per employee and a profit per employee, it's like it's way off the charts. So I just as a founder, one thing I've had to change in myself is just temper that feeling that success is correlated to the number of people I employ as if I am a human charity and my job is to employ as many people as humanly possible. I will bet if you ask most founders, um, would you rather a, you know, a $10 million business with three people or a $10 million business with a hundred? And now the three, if you're with three people, you're going to have people snark at you and give you funny faces and be like, maybe he's not successful. Which would you rather? You would rather three people. That's you only have three headaches, Ooh, three mouths to feed, yeah. rather than a hundred headaches and a hundred yeah. mouths to feed. So I agree with you. It, it is a odd phenomenon as founders. We want to boast like 
I found that there was this magic number of double digits. Once you got your employee count over a double digit, your firm made it. Your company made it. I don't know. It's it's silly. I'm now you see a lot <laughs> yeah. of people building solopreneur businesses, like uh, knowledge based mm, businesses, absolutely training companies. Uh-huh. They're doing a couple million a year, and it's one person. Like uh, they're making yeah. more profit. They're paying themselves more than ninety nine percent of every mm-hmm. founder I've ever met on an annual basis. They just yeah. don't have the headaches yeah. here in Bangladesh as well, or. Anywhere I go, people would ask like, hey, so you have a team. Oh, so how many people do you have in the team? Because it's easier for them to ask that question instead of asking like, so how much do you make every month? You know revenue, what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's- Yeah, so how much is your revenue? <laughs> yeah, they can't ask that. Yeah, Jamie, no, thank you so much. I think it was, uh, you're right. Um, I, I really think people should take advantage of the fact that people can outsource and build their entire sales machine. One thing anybody need is clients. Everybody needs clients. Think about it. There is a way you can replace uh, your office, right? You, maybe you don't go to office, maybe you work from home. Uh, you can replace your laptop, you can buy a desktop. Uh, maybe. So there are a lot of things that you can replace. One thing that you cannot replace is your client. Everybody will need more clients. And to do that, they definitely need to build sales departments and they can definitely outsource or offshore and build an entire sales department which can turn into a sales machine. So people should definitely take advantage of it. Um, any last words, Jamie, and then we can close it. I think as a founder, you may have mentally crossed some barriers, like I can get a virtual assistant. There are some certain marketing roles or customer support roles that I could offshore. I think that most founders haven't crossed that mental barrier that every role in your organization, and even the most difficult ones, sales has this massive opportunity Mm. for you. Reduce your cost of customer acquisition. Scale the number of touches you have around the world. Nurture more customers. You can do this with offshoring. And at Get Leverage, can't wait to show founders how we're doing it. Absolutely. So go check out getleverage.com, G-E-T-L-E-V-R-G.com, and see you next time.